Welcome to the Francisca Show podcast, a part of JewishCoffeehouse.com. The show on where I give a voice to Jewish issues, topics, and people. I'm Francisca, your host. Welcome back to the show, friends. Dan, so excited to have a bonus episode added in this week. This episode was planned a while back. It was recorded a few months ago. It actually is a little bit timely because we do bring up my unorthodox life, and that did come up in the news. Not that I'm covering what's going on in the news, but I did find that to be an interesting correlation. I want you to know we have so many incredible topics in the queue. I also love the discussion that's happening in the WhatsApp group. So kudos and thank you for joining the group, participating, creating this energy and ideas for me to curate excellent content for you. I really hope you are enjoying the content. And if you do enjoy the show, there are ways you can support it. Number one, you can subscribe, you can leave a review, you can tell other people about the show, that helps us grow. You can also advertise on the show. And of course, we cannot start an episode without this. I am a success podcast coach and I help people launch their podcasts in just one day. So if you have referrals for me, please do send them my way. I appreciate you. This is how you support the show. Without any further ado, enjoy this episode. Welcome to the show, Lizzie. It's so nice to have you on. So nice to be here. Thank you for having me. So I've been on this long journey. And originally, when I asked you to be on this podcast, I was searching and on a quest of self-made female from or orthodox entrepreneurs and just wealthy women in general. And your name came across that list and I reached out. Now I don't interview entrepreneurs specifically. I like to focus on Jewish taboo topics and the activism work. So you still completely (laughs) fill the quota with plenty of that to talk about today. So I'm so excited to bring all of this in today. I know God has a plan for everything. So today was the right time for us to have this conversation. So welcome to the show. Thank you. I love what you just said about focusing on Jewish taboo topics. That is my MO. So I'm excited for our conversation. Yes, me too. Let's get started and tell us how you identify in the Jewish spectrum. And has it been a journey or do you feel like you've been in one place your entire life? And weave in a little bit of your background into it. I think that we're all on a journey spiritually. I I think every day is different. Because for me, my relationship to my faith is just that it's a relationship. And so it's constantly evolving. And I feel like it's never been just one thing. So I grew up in Fort Worth, Texas, about 45 minutes from where I live now. And there's not much of a Jewish community there at all. I grew up, though, with really strong Jewish values. My parents did an amazing job especially because there were so few Jews around of making us feel like this really strong sense of self as Jews. And it was like never on my radar to seriously date or marry somebody that wasn't Jewish. So, and I know that it wasn't the case for a lot of people who grew up with similar backgrounds to me. So I'm very, very grateful. 
So even though I didn't really grow up observant at all, my Jewish identity was a huge part of who I was. And I was really excited to tap into that a bit more when I got to college. I went to NYU and there are so many Jews and it was a really interesting paradox growing up in Fort Worth and going to school there my whole life and then going to New York and like everyone was Jewish, like everyone in New York, even if you're not Jewish, you're just like basically Jewish by proximity because like everyone around you is Jewish and the culture is so Jewish. So it was weird to sort of like see myself in everyone around me there. Like I didn't know what the word Jap meant. Like I had never met like a Long Island Jewish girl before I got to college. So I didn't understand a lot of the stereotypes until, you know, much later in my life. I will say that I think growing up with so few Jews around me was such a gift because I felt like an ambassador for the Jewish people. And I felt this huge responsibility as the different person to educate everyone around me about Judaism. And I mean, I had no shame. I annoyed everyone like teaching them all about my holidays and about my people and about my history. And I remember like in eighth grade, we went to Washington, D.C., my class and going to the Holocaust Museum and like teaching like my peers about this huge part of our history. And I think that that's sort of prepared me to do what I do today. And a lot of the work that I do with advocating for the Jewish people and educating about Judaism, a lot of that were tools that I developed just from growing up in a non-observant environment. It was a wonderful gift for me. And then I was able to really delve in around my senior year of college. I got involved with the Kirov program, a Jewish outreach organization on campus. And then I spent the year after college at Neve in Jerusalem. And it was a crazy journey because for those of you who aren't familiar, it's a very Haredi institution. And I am obviously not Haredi, but I thought it was a good opportunity to sort of like invest in myself and my Jewish learning. And I didn't really know all the options that were out there. And I, like you said earlier, you know, Hashem, everything works in Hashem's time and in Hashem's way. And I feel like I ended up at Neve for a reason. I really had a positive experience there, even though I always felt like I, they would have thought of me as like a failure of their program because I didn't end up dressing the part and necessarily living a Haredi lifestyle. But I think that they see me actually as a success because I am somebody who centers my life and my family around my Judaism. And I still tap into that year that I had there all the time. Like that is something that I needed to be able to be a mom to children in Jewish day school and to like have the tools. So I'm very grateful for that. And like I said in the beginning, I feel like my relationship to Judaism is constantly evolving, but it's always central and focal in my life. That's so beautiful to hear. Let's dive into the projects and your life's mission activism work that you're doing. I know there are a few different things. You do matchmaking. You have this miscarriage slash pregnancy loss awareness organization that you just had a Safer Torah dedicated in honor of, right? I'm sure there's other. Thank God I have been able to partner with a lot of different Jewish and Israel advocacy organizations over the years. Birthright, for example, has been a really big one for me because I wouldn't have met my husband had it not been for Birthright Israel. And I think that the future of the Jewish people really rests on Birthright's ability to make Jewish 
young people fall in love with Israel and hopefully fall in love with each other. So that's been a big one also that I've been involved with. My activism and my work with causes is what keeps me going with my platform. There was a period of time, because when I started this, a lot of you may remember that my blog was called Accessories Expert, and it was all about accessories and up and coming trends and up and coming accessories designers. And it was not really Jewish related at all. Like I would throw in a few things about what I would wear to shul or the holidays, but I didn't really talk about any of the work I was doing outside of fashion. And I got, I started to just get a little bit frustrated because I felt like a little bit unfulfilled, just posting pictures of my outfits and writing these articles about accessories because it just felt very one note. So there was a a period where I almost stopped it because I just felt like I didn't want to do it anymore. It just didn't feel good. Not to say that it's wrong for anyone else to do it. It just, for me, was not working anymore. And I think a lot of that had to do with that. I was going through this really hard time in my life with pregnancy loss. I lost three pregnancies in one year And it felt very inauthentic to me to share all these glamorous, beautiful photos when I was in fact, really hurting and going through something so real. And I decided on a whim to just open up about that. And it was in a different time than we're in now, you know, in the pre-pandemic era, people didn't really talk about taboo topics. One of the best things to come out of the pandemic was people really started to open up more and share more about themselves. And I think people were just more thirsty for real life content and less into like this curated perfect lives that people were presenting on Instagram. But this was before that. So I was nervous about how it would be received. And if it was something that I was ready to take on, but I knew once I had it out there, it was going to be forever intertwined with my identity. And like, I don't know, do I want to be talking about pregnancy loss all day, every day? And I questioned it a lot before and during and after, because I did in a way become the poster child for pregnancy loss, which was hard when I was still in the middle of my Parsha. Like I didn't know if I would ever have a third baby, which is what I was hoping for. And I was sharing, you know, through the process But in reality, it was a really great decision because it helped me through it. It helped me feel less alone. And in turn, it helped other people who were going through similar struggles feel less alone. And I think anyone, even if they weren't struggling with pregnancy loss or infertility, connected to it because everyone has stuff that they go through in their lives. And so for there to be somebody out there on Instagram that was opening up about the bad stuff and not just posting the beautiful stuff was was helpful to a lot of people and of course helpful to me. And it also showed me that I had this ability to use my platform for something so much greater than just fashion. So that was really what opened up the can of worms for me to then start sharing more about other causes that I care deeply about, like Israel and the Jewish people and stepping up to the plate for that, particularly with the most recent war in Gaza and the anti-Semitism that we've seen rise up in the world surrounding that, that people want to act like isn't connected at all. But obviously we know that anti-Israel behavior directly leads to anti-Semitism. So it's been such a, a major gift in my life to be able to have the ability to make a difference because of this little platform that I started to share my jewelry. <laughs> 
it might be a super simple question or maybe a question out of ignorance, but how do you know that the activism that one is attempting to do is working? Like, how do you know what kind of feedback or what kind of actions have to be taken in order for you to feel like what I'm pushing for is actually doing something it's happened? Can you share some of that? That's a great question. And I think one point that I always want to drive home is that you don't have to be an influencer to have influence because if you just change one person's mindset or not even change their mindset, but encourage them to stand up, I think that activism, the most beautiful thing about it is that it has a ripple effect because it inspires other people to stand up and use their voice as well because they see that. I think a lot of times you think, oh, I can't do everything, so I'll just do nothing. But that's not the way that it works, especially with activism. It can be as simple as having a conversation with your neighbor or like everyone these days has an Instagram account or a Twitter account. Sharing information with your following, no matter how big or how small, can have a huge impact because you never know who's going to see it and who's going to be impacted by it. And activism is, is an individual thing. It's about each individual life that you touch. It's not about like just the huge like the masses. Obviously that's great, but there's a great Voltaire quote, cultivate your own garden. And it's not just about leading a march on Washington. It's about talking to the people in your everyday life and starting there and cultivating that. Looking at the person next to you and and asking how, what can I say or do to to make them see things in a different way? But for yourself personally, on the level that you're doing activism. Right. So I would say that I feel success, especially when it comes to controversial topics like Israel. I think when I'm getting the negative and the positive together, that's when I know I'm making waves because that's when I know that I'm not just reaching my own audience, but I'm reaching people that see things differently. And that's when you have the opportunity to have a real conversation. And I think when people, when you're talking about things that people don't necessarily know a lot about, like the Middle East, people are scared to touch it because it's surrounded by so much controversy, but that's an opportunity for people who know something to educate. I I see it as like, when people ask me for resources, I want to learn more about what you're doing or brands, even asking me for resources to post or like doing Instagram lives with people who have a different audience or a different voice. But yeah, I would say that I feel the impact the most in my inbox and in my comments, both positive and negative. And I think that both are all positive in the case of activism. That's really interesting what you said. I would not have thought of that on my own. So I'm happy you shared that because it makes sense. It's the fact that people who don't agree with you are also listening to you and you have that chance to speak to them. As an influencer, is your line of income from brands paying you to promote their brands or talk about what they do? Or are there other streams of income as an entrepreneur? My main source of income in the beginning was brand partnerships or not in the beginning, but as the ball was rolling. And when I first started making money and seeing that this could actually be a real career, which was never my intention, I started this as a side hustle when I was working full time at a fashion PR company. And I never, ever thought that I would be able to make money doing this. When I first started, there was no such thing as like affiliate marketing, which is reward style, shop style, all these companies that now have 
made a business out of influencers selling swipe up links, or now we don't have swipe ups, click links. Initially, it would be partner with a brand and I would promote their product in an organic way, show why I like it, how I use it, and they would pay me per post. And I still make money doing that. I've sort of started to shift gears a little bit because as I was saying before, I just haven't felt as fulfilled doing the purely fashion stuff. And so lately, my main source of income has been speaking or partnering with Jewish, usually Jewish nonprofit organizations as an ambassador or partner and promoting them either for their events or their campaigns or whatever initiative they may have going. And that's my favorite thing to do because I really feel like it's my calling in this life is to use my voice to make a difference. And I hope I can look great while doing it and still have fashion always be a part of me. But I I want the main force to be the activist component. As someone in fashion and who is Jewish and loves the Jewish life, what was it like when My Unorthodox Life came out on Netflix? (laughs) What thoughts went through your head? It's a loaded question for me because I'll be honest, um, Batsheva is a good friend of mine and Ben is actually my cousin. I'm not able to have an objective opinion about it because I'm close to them. But I will say that I just think it's very dangerous when Jewish people represent our own people in a negative light. It is worrisome to me. I don't know if the reality of how it would come across was necessarily digested. I always try to give people the benefit of the doubt. And I know that in my own life, I've made decisions that could be seen one way or another. And the intention behind them was different than maybe it was felt. I feel like my best response to something like that would be to just be louder and prouder about my Jewish identity. And instead of criticizing, I think promoting what I love and why it's so incredible to be Jewish. Right. However, it's hard to do that when you don't have your own Netflix series to compete on such a level. It's hard. And that it's similar to when I was trying to respond to Gigi and Bella Hadid about their very anti-Zionist posts on Instagram. It's like, how can I compete with somebody who has millions of viewers? But you do the best you can. And I think we do make a, a difference. It's just on a slower pace. But I don't know if I personally would be able to do anything to stop it through negative behavior. So I think that the best approach is to just to just keep as positive of a mindset in place and just try to fight it that way. Yeah. Well, I'll throw out my idea just because I have you here talking to me. And it's not just my idea, but countering with amazing content Netflix level could be on Amazon, it could be self-produced, but content that is just as professional, just as attractive, but puts Jewish people in a positive light. But the problem is Orthodox people don't put value or emphasis on creating expensive content, which is why. Yeah. Well, if anyone wants to do that, I'm happy to come on board because I would love... I flirted with the idea of doing reality TV. We were cast on 
the next season of Real Housewives of Dallas, but it got canceled. And my only motivation to do it was to show the beauty of Judaism, which of course worried me as well, because you have no control over what happens on the editing room floor. But I'm not opposed to reality TV at all, especially if it was done in the right way. I just, I don't have the resources to, to produce it myself, but I think it, I think it would be great. I think it's so important. Yeah. So moving along, I know that the idea of plastic surgery is close to you because you're married to one. I did a series, a two-part series about a year ago, maybe half a year ago on Botox and plastics in the firm community. Oh, by the way, they're big. I'm sure you can speak to this, but they're huge customers of my husband's. So So that's what I want to ask you about. Are there any trends or anything you have information from the inside that would be interesting to our audience that are all over the spectrum of the Jewish spectrum and even men? Yes. I think we've seen over the years with my husband, a lot of from people having everything done, but it's not just what you would think of like the classic rhinoplasty facelift patients. It's a lot of breast augmentations, tummy tucks, mommy makeovers. I think that Jewish women really care about how we look. And even if we're covering up, we like, we're we're all like on the latest diet craze or like we care, we care. And so, and we're also having a million kids. So our bodies take a hit. I think plastic surgery is definitely on the table, I guess, pun intended. I don't think it's as taboo as it once was. And maybe that's just because I'm married to a plastic surgeon, but I don't think so. Like I hear people talking about it all the time. And I have noticed also men getting plastic surgery. Yeah. I mean, a lot of guys don't like talking about it, but like um, the man boobs, gynecomastia, like my husband's had several from male patients that have come to him to get that fixed. Cause you know, they don't like the way that it looks when they're at the beach or whatever, and they want to feel like confident in their bodies. So I think it, it doesn't matter how religious you are, where you live, people just want to feel good. And a lot of that has to do with tweaking little things that bother them. But as my husband always says that the plastic surgeons are not in the making people happy business. They're in the making people look better business. So if you're trying to fix something psychological, it's not going to happen. But I do think women out there are saying, okay, well, I don't like the way my body looks after having five kids. Let me fix it. There's a solution. And this might be a little personal. So let me know if you're uncomfortable answering this, but have you ever felt the pressures to get stuff done because you are married to a plastic surgeon or maybe because your husband might want to fix things about you. Who knows? It's interesting because it is like the family business, right? Like, so he'll bring home the Botox for me and he'll say, he'll be like, smile. Like, oh yeah. Like, let me fix. I have this like little eyebrow dimple. He'll be like, I need to fix that eyebrow dimple. Like, let me just, you know, put a little, like he notices things that a normal man wouldn't because that's his job. And he is like, it's funny though. I've never once felt like undesired by him because, you know, or like, I think he sees me as perfect to him, even when he wants to fix my eyebrow dimple. Like he doesn't love me more because it's there. or It's not there. It's just his job. Um, and I don't feel any less than 
when he's looking. I feel like there's two different eyes that he looks at me through. There's like the husband eye and then there's the plastic surgeon eye. And I usually can tell which one I'm getting. And I don't mind the plastic surgeon eye. But yeah, like I don't, it's it's interesting. I I don't think that I'm somebody that would have really cared about plastic surgery or like getting Botox like every three months on the dot. I'm just not that detail oriented at all. So like having my husband be the one to tell me when it's time is it's like, I guess a good, it's a perk, but yeah, I think that I'm more into it because I'm married to him for sure. It's part of our day-to-day conversations. He comes home from the office telling me about his patients and what he did and he'll get a new product. He wants to try out on me or whatever. And So yeah, for sure. It's different than it would be if I wasn't married to him. So do you feel like you've done stuff you wouldn't be interested in because he either wants to try it? Yeah, but I will say that he's very conservative and he's like very much less is more. I did my lifts a few years ago. One of his co-residents did them and they did them like huge and he like wanted to dissolve it. He like, he definitely has a much more like conservative hand So I trust him, but yeah, I think I definitely am more into it because of him. Absolutely. Let's talk about some of the next things for you. What are you working on next? What are your things that we don't know about or people are following you who might not know about it? So this whole matchmaking series that I started just happened on a whim. My friend, Aliza, always, she's an amazing, like she's a mentor of mine. Aliza licked. She always says, if you have an idea, don't wait until it's perfect. Just pull the trigger and do it. And so that's what I did with this. And I was like, well, figure it out as we go. Like I didn't really know what the best format would be. It's been a lot of trial and error. And that's, I think the best way, because if you worry about making it too perfect or polishing it up too much, you'll never do it. Especially with something like this, because there are so many moving parts. Like every week I have at least five guests on. And so it's what if somebody's internet doesn't work or what if they don't, you know, what if they don't have good lighting or what if they say something inappropriate? And, and the, then that's not even mentioning the, the chat box with all the people watching, you know, we've had each episode has had about 15 to 20,000 views total live and after, and anyone can say anything. And it's wild. It's definitely like a little bit scary, but cool in a way, because you just never know what's going to happen. And so there's like the whole element of spontaneity and surprise. And so it's really, I'm a little bit OCD about, especially about my content. And so it's really forced me to just surrender to the process and like, just embrace it because it's chaos and I'm loving it. I'm thinking that the, the possibilities are not going to to end with the show. I see like so much more potential, like live events, an app. I would love to do an app. I know that there's people that have done them, but I have a vision that I don't really see out there for that. Like a very selective, exclusive Jewish dating app. It's one of my missions is to just bring more love into the world. And I think it's also a lot of the work that I do is so heavy and serious and this is so fun and lighthearted. And I just, I want to laugh and I want to bring joy back in, but it's also doing good in the world, God willing. So for anyone who doesn't know what the show is, can you explain how it works? 
So the show is an IGTV series on my Instagram every Wednesday night, and it's called The Shared. And we have a main bachelor or bachelorette every week, and they go on speed dates with four to five people in front of everyone, one at a time. And they get to know each other a little bit and see if there's chemistry. And the reason that I wanted to do this is because I feel like the dating apps have gotten a little bit stale and you really can't get to know a person based on a resume and like a two-dimensional photo. And so this is like a little bit longer. It's five to 10 minutes per candidate. And you're really like seeing if there's a spark there and you're not wasting a whole evening of your time going out to dinner. And then ultimately when the show is over, you have just shown however many viewers there were who you are. And it's another platform for you to just have visibility so that if somebody sees you out there and thinks that they have the perfect girl or guy for you, then they can set you up as well. Amazing. And how do people get on to the show? So right, we need to organize it and streamline it a little better. But right now we have our own Instagram account at the shared by Lizzie, B-A-S-H-E-R-T by Lizzie with a Y. And you can submit your information there. We just ask for a photo, age, location, occupation. And then we follow up with some questions about where you're holding religiously and all that. So I don't get too hung up on that though, because (laughs) I know that people are like more flexible when they're looking for the right person. And if you give them an opportunity to grow, as long as both people want to grow, I think that it can work if they're starting in a different place. Yeah. And I love that you added that in. I also would love to end with some words of wisdom as a female Jewish entrepreneur. What do you have to say to women who might feel stuck or unempowered? It's just so incredible to have you on and talk about all the incredible things that you do, not just for business, but also for self-fulfillment. But the reason you're able to do it is because you have the other things already in place. My words would be life is a journey and where you are today has no bearing on where you'll be tomorrow. And you really can seize every opportunity. And a lot of times you have to create that opportunity for yourself. I definitely just took a lot of risks to get to where I am and I'm not where I want to be yet, um, but I'm on on my way. And so I think you just can't be afraid to take a chance on yourself. The only person that's going to push you to do things is yourself. And so if you could just do some personal reflection, a lot of times I I like to look in the mirror and ask myself where I want to be and where I want to go. And then it's about putting in place the steps to get there. And I think also just staying open to opportunities. Don't get hung up on a five-year plan because you may miss out on things that could come your way that you weren't expecting. So just keeping an open mind and an open heart for the opportunities and just tapping into what's working for you. You only have one life that we know of and you just want to milk it for everything it's worth. And it feels so good when you take it, take a risk and take a challenge and you work really hard and make something happen from scratch. I mean, there's no feeling like it and it has nothing to do with a paycheck or fame and notoriety. It's just this like feeling of personal fulfillment. So don't be afraid to take risks and work your ass off and just keep an open heart. Thank you so much, Lizzie, for coming on.
There's so many valuable things that you shared today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for listening until the end. Next week, we will have a No More Silence episode. I did have a couple of interviews conducted right after the Chaim Walder events. So I've been saving them up for you. And upon the guest's request, I will be releasing one next week. In the meantime, make sure to follow me on Instagram for behind the scenes. You can also check out the backlog on this podcast as well as other JewishCoffeeHouse.com podcasts. Thank you for being a fantastic friend, Stan, and see you next week.